Welcome to Femme Collective with Katie, Stacy, and Mai. Today, we are fortunate to have Dr. Liz Franks with us to discuss her experience as a board member of a nonprofit called Redemption Road Fitness Foundation that is focused on partnering with incarcerated individuals, the community, and the Colorado Department of Correction to support health, wellness, and personal redemption within the prison system. She is joining us from Bethesda, Maryland, where she lives and works. Liz was born and raised in West Texas and later moved to the DFW Metroplex where she attended Texas Christian University for her undergraduate and master's degrees. She then moved to Denver, Colorado where she ultimately received her PhD in immunology. She moved to the Washington DC area in March of 2019 where she is currently a scientist at the National Institutes of Health. Although she has made several cross-country moves, oftentimes to places where she knew no one, one thing has remained constant, her love for CrossFit. Liz has been avidly involved in the CrossFit community for eight years. Her desire for social justice and CrossFit became intertwined related to our topic today. She is also my sister. Welcome, Liz. We are so excited to have you today. Hey, thank you guys so much for having me. It's really so awesome to be here. I'm obsessed with the old podcast, and I'm really fortunate to be a guest today. Well, thank you. Yeah, you are definitely our number one fan, which we appreciate and love so much. Um, Can you start us off today by telling us a little bit about yourself? So yeah, uh, thanks for the introduction, a little bit about myself um, and specifically as it relates to CrossFit and social justice and kind of how I got into the Redemption Road CrossFit and Fitness Foundation aspect. One of the things that I thought was really wonderful when I first um, found CrossFit, and I have to give a shout out to my best friend for making me attend my first CrossFit class with her for her birthday, was that the the women in the community got to be very um, proud of what their body can do and not what their body looks like. I think that as women growing up, we're, we're taught that, you know, our bodies have to be little and we have to be skinny and CrossFit really allows you to um, really push those boundaries of what your body can do for you. How heavy of weights can you lift? And um, that has been really awesome. And, you know, I know you guys did an episode not too long ago about um, body image and stuff. And, you know, it's just uh, a nice side effect that um, you get really fit doing CrossFit. (laughs) And as far as like how I kind of came about um, CrossFit in prison, um, I had a lot of interest in social justice and prison reform. And so it just kind of seemed like a natural segue to kind of marry the two things that um, I was really passionate about. Thanks for that, Liz. Um, I think it's just, it's very admirable. And and honestly, I just wanted, one of the things I'm really interested in knowing is how did you get involved with the prison system specifically? You know, I get the whole CrossFit thing and, and I commend you for all that. I am very intrigued in how you even got involved with the prison system and connected the two. Yeah, sure. So Um, my first, uh, go around with the prison system wasn't necessarily through CrossFit. Um, I was approached when I was doing my PhD by a group that was working to establish curriculum for a women's correctional facility. And so one of the things that I had also been passionate about was teaching women, um, the biology of their body, 
because um, I think that a lot of us don't have access to that, especially if you didn't have, you know, parents that were really in tune with it or didn't have the access to it through public education. So I had developed a curriculum that taught biology to women in uh, Denver Women's Corrections Facility that kind of revolved around from birth to death, talking about like women's health specifically through all of these different aspects of um, the aging process. So it goes from basically fetal development through menopause and all that stuff. And so I, I had submitted curriculum for that and um, I was met with a surprising amount of pushback. A lot of it revolved around uh, maybe not wanting to give people as much body autonomy um, and certain, certain topics were a little bit taboo for uh, the correction system. So I, as a scientist, I was like, whoa, what, what do you mean that, uh, you know, birth control is, is a, is an issue. And so when I had heard about that, I was like, oh, there's a lot more going on here that like, I would like to get involved with. So then as far as how I had kind of gotten into, um, the CrossFit aspect in prison, it was actually a little bit serendipitous because, uh, the disintegration of, of this course, it was met like maybe within like two or three weeks after one of my coaches at my CrossFit gym came in and was just like, Hey, um, I'm thinking about doing like hosting a, a CrossFit competition. Are you interested? And I'm like, yes, I'm in. And he was like, okay, cool. It's an immense maximum security prison. What do you think about that? And I'm like, still in, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> So kind of just to touch a little bit on how my experience was the first time that I walked into uh, a men's maximum security prison, which I'd never been into any prison before, let, al let alone a, a max security one. And, um, you know, I, I had gotten quite a bit of pushback from people about even going to this event, mostly from family and friends that were very nervous about it, rightfully so. Um, I think there's a lot of taboo that's surrounded or that has surrounded the prison system and most importantly, incarcerated individuals. Like they're all super bad people. They wouldn't be there if they weren't off like, you know, and that's kind of one of the stereotypes that we want to try and break down. Um, initially walking through the fence, even just pulling up to the facility to begin with, you know, it's, it's multiple layers of fencing with a lot of razor wire and guard towers and, you know, people with high powered rifles and, uh, it's, it's a little bit intimidating. And, you know, I, when I walked in and we have to walk across the prison yard with general population that's out and we walk into rec and there are all these guys who come up to me and look me in my face and shake my, shake my hand, introduce themselves first and last name. And it was like, I was at any other CrossFit gym and it was one of the most disarming parts of that, of that whole event, because you, you walk in and you're just having normal conversations and you're, you're chit chatting. And if anybody on the podcast is a CrossFitter, you know, that everybody likes to compare their benchmark workout times like Fran and, you know, what's your heaviest deadlift. And you're just, you're throwing down with these guys, just like you were at your home gym. And it, it ended up being one of the most profound days, I think in my entire life, because I never, I never would have predicted just from going to this CrossFit competition that it would have evolved into what it is now. Um, you talked a little bit about walking into a, a maximum security prison. Can you talk a little bit more about that? So you said razor wire fences. Um, what, what is it like 
when you go there? Yeah. So, um, you know, when, when we first started doing this, we were just visitors through the department of corrections. So yeah, you, you clear security, um, after having like an extensive background check done on you to make sure that you don't know any incarcerated individual that's there. Um, but you, you walk through the, your first level of security. So, um, if you think about it, like kind of how a castle is, you have like the outer moat area. And so you cross through that and then you go through, a blank space of about a hundred yards to where you get to the interior of the prison. And so then you walk through the next set of securities and that's when um, it's people that don't see this unless you work there or live there. Um, so you are now behind where visitation occurs um, and you're in just the, the common yard and the way that this specific facility is set up, it, it's shaped kind of like a Pentagon. And so you have the interior yard and um, you have units that are being called and moved. And, you know, obviously we are guests in the Department of Corrections, so they still have to run their everyday operations. And so if one unit is being moved, they don't wait until we clear the yard to do that. Um, and so we um, when we started this, we, we initially had guards um, or corrections officers that would escort us from these different parts within the prison to where we needed to go. And then as we like started developing more, um, we started um, getting granted more uh, privilege, I guess, for freedom of movement within the facility. And so now we're no longer escorted, um, which is actually really interesting um, because now we're just walking along with uh, the people who live there. And, you know, it's actually drawn a lot more interest into our program because a lot of a lot of these uh, incarcerated individuals are wondering like, oh, like who, who is this group of people who are unescorted through our yard coming in to go to the gym and how do we get to be a part of that? And so it's kind of been like free advertisement for our program in a way within the prison, uh, which has been really cool. Liz, can you talk about what it's like in terms of segregation in the prison? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that that was, um, one of the most eye-opening things that that I noticed when I first walked in to the prison was it takes you back to segregated America. Um, and you are right back where different races and ethnicities do not intermingle. Um, and it is very apparent. It's apparent based on their positioning in the yard. And it's... Um, I mean, you, you hear about this kind of stuff in the news. Uh, if anybody watched like that TV show locked up, which by the way, if you talk to an offender, that's their most hated show of all the, of all time, because it's, it's not necessarily representative. Um, but it was, it was really interesting because here you have this like very, uh, black, white divide and not necessarily speaking about race, but just like this harsh divide within the general population yard. And then you walk into the gym where our program is housed and all of the, all of the guys in our program have already been called to rec. So they've already all been moved there. And, you know, we walk in and it's no longer like that. You have black men talking to white men, talking to Asian men, talking to Hispanic men, working out together, fist bumping. And what you just saw 15 feet outside is not what's happening in our program. Like it's just mind blowing. And I'm, I have goosebumps even just like talking about it right now, like the racial 
and ethnic and religious barriers that are being broken down with this program have not been seen in any other volunteer run program. Thanks, Liz. Can you tell us about the program? Yeah, so the program was initially started uh, several years ago by two guys. Their names are Damien and Brandon. Uh, they are both insiders. And, you know, one of the one of the really moving things that I have found out talking to Damien um, about why he even started this program um, was that he owes the world an ocean of debt. And every good deed he does puts a drop back in that bucket of the debt that he owes. And so for him, it was how can I not only change my life, but more importantly, how can I change the lives of all of the, all of the other people that I live with here? You know, if, if I can make one person walk a straight and narrow, then I've done, like, I get to add another drop back into my bucket. Um, and so that, that got started several, several years ago. So Brandon is, um, he's the son of a, of a retired police officer and, uh, Brandon's also currently incarcerated and Brandon's father knew, um, the guy from my CrossFit gym who turns out to be the president of our foundation that we started based off of this. And so Brandon's dad, his name is Kevin, asked uh, our president, Aaron, if he could help these guys get started with CrossFit. And so this actually gives our program quite a bit of street cred because Aaron is also a sergeant in the Denver Police Department. And so now we have a police officer partnering with incarcerated individuals to help bring accountability and community and mentorship into prison systems. Great. Yeah, that's a, it's interesting, the relationship there. But um, what are some common misconceptions you'd like to just clear up about the prison system and incarcerated individuals? Yeah, so, oh man, misconceptions. How much time do we have? Um, so there, there are obviously a lot, but one of one of the main ones that, that we normally get with the program specifically is, okay, you're bringing CrossFit in. So you're just making stronger, faster criminals who upon release are going to be stronger and faster than our police officers. And kind of one of the, the running jokes that we have within the program. And especially like on our board is um, they're already stronger and faster. Like they, they don't need CrossFit for that. Um, they need the CrossFit aspect for the community and the accountability and like anybody who does CrossFit knows that accountability is just built into CrossFit as a whole. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's really important for us to tell people that we're not building stronger and faster criminals. We're, we're building better humans and we're trying to give people something that they can be proud of in a place that is often impossible to be proud of anything. You know, they, they get told, um, by a lot of people who work there and members of their own family that they are worthless and that they are never going to be anything. They're never going to be loved again. They're never going to achieve anything. And, you know, this is a way that they get to start rebuilding their self-esteem um, and wanting to do good, not only for themselves, but for their community around them. Another thing that, you know, so when a lot of people hear about CrossFit in prison, people think they want to make jokes, right? Like, well, imagine how fit I would be if all I got to do every single day was work out. 
like people who are incarcerated have control over their daily schedule. <laughs> what? <laughs> so for instance, um, in order to be in our program, you have to have a full-time job. And so the majority of people in prison have full-time jobs. And, you know, there's, um, there's a lot to be said about privatized prison, which by the way, we are in state prisons. Um, we are not in private prisons. A lot of people who work in prison, who, who live there, who are incarcerated can make only 60 cents a day, even though they're working 40 hour work weeks. Um, the other thing that I thought was really interesting that I'm sure if I just sat down before I got involved in this, I would know more about it. So this is a little bit of my own uh, naivete is that the, the majority of the day-to-day -day operations that go on in a prison are done by incarcerated people. It's not only like your, like the, the kitchen that's run by uh, people who live there or uh, laundry. I mean, this is like the janitorial staff. It is also welding that occurs on the facility. So a lot of our facilities have uh, special specialty shops. And so one of our very first facilities has an embroidery shop um, and they actually make all of the clothing that our organization sells. So if you want any swag, you can head on over to rf2.org and make a purchase. But it's it's actually really cool because on the on the sleeves of our shirts that we sell, it says proudly made by inmates at Lyman Correctional Facility. Um, which is really cool and gives um, these men pride, like further pride in, in work that they do when they realize that people out on the streets are, you know, like repping their set, basically. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, Liz, you talked a lot about, you know, the, the facility itself, um, kind of what goes on behind the scenes. Can you tell us a little bit about how your organization has partnered with the state of Colorado Department of Corrections? Yeah. Yeah. So um, we have developed over several years, really good working relationships with the Department of Corrections. And one of the most notable is that we have a new, relatively new, I mean, he's been here for about three years, a new executive director of prisons. His name is Dean Williams. Um, and he is a rock star. He, he came here from Alaska and his main initiative in all of um, and all of prison is that he wants to um, really teach this idea of normalization. And so for an example, he, he started a marathon run club at one of his prisons in Alaska, and he ran with like the people that were incarcerated at that prison. And that is unheard of. Um, and it's, so we actually met with him um, back in 2019 to kind of go over what our what our program was, what our vision, what our goal was. And he said, anything you need, I'm in. I'm going to make this happen. So kind of having like that overwhelming support from the very top has trickled all the way down. And as you can imagine, with any big like state or federal government structure, even when you have all these changes at the top, it's very hard to implement at the very ground level. And so having this trickle all the way down to the corrections office officers within the facilities that know, in fact, this is a very good program. This is not something that you, that you have to hate because good things are happening to, to these men and women in prison um, has been really awesome. And, you know, we, we recently had a competition that we held within the Denver women's correction facility back in July. And we had 15 individuals from five different facilities that we brought in to 
uh, Denver Women's, as well as a bunch of community members. And we partnered community members that we call outsiders with our incarcerated folk, which we call insiders. And we just had a big CrossFit throwdown. And we had like transport corrections officers from all these different facilities and so many moving parts. And then the executive director showed up and he was given a talk. And um, at the end of the competition, he said, you know, whenever I first started in prisons, I used to ask people, do you think it's possible for the people who work here to be friends with the people that live here? And he said that initially when he asked that question, it was a trick question because he didn't think that that could happen. And now he says, I think that people who work here must be friends with the people that live here. Because after all, it is a partnership. If only all states could be as lucky. I am so encouraged to hear that, Liz. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm super thankful for, for Dean Williams and, and everybody else. I mean, from the wardens of our facilities to the lieutenants and the captains and the directors and our corrections officers. I mean, none of this could be done without them. Um, and they, and we, we give them more work to do. You know, like it's not like we get to show up and they get to take time off. They have to do more for our program to work. And as thankful as I am for the outsiders that make this happen, this would never exist without our men and women on the inside. They have just done a masterful job with this. And anything that I can do and our board can do to support them, that's what we're here for. We're here for them. Yeah, that's definitely inspiring. And 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 I'm hoping, you know, that just by learning more about it here today, it'll just be something that word of mouth or, or just gets the ball rolling so that we can see this kind of program and more and more um, state prisons, right? So has this partnership changed or influenced your view of the disparities faced by black and brown people in this country? I don't know if it's necessarily changed my view of the disparities in the country. I think it's further solidified the injustices that exist, uh, oftentimes based just on your skin color and the circumstances that you find yourself in. Um, I think that it has given me a lot of hope that things can be different moving forward, you know, hopefully for, for all of society. But I mean, it, you, there, it's an unarguable fact that the justice system is harsher on black and brown people than they are on white people. And to see this be perpetuated within prison systems, you know, I, I, I get a first, a first row look at it. And um, it's really awesome to try and, or to see that programs such as these can help rebuild those relationships and tear down those fences that prison perpetuates, oftentimes against their own well-being as a facility. You know, like these, these divides can be perpetuated and propagated and promoted. That's, that's not what needs to happen. What do you think it means or what have you seen, you know, firsthand that it means to incarcerated people to have this partnership? How have you seen firsthand the members of your program change? Yeah, so I think that's a really great, great question. And um, there are a lot of ways that I have seen members within this program change. And um, first and foremost, like they, they are so appreciative and thankful that we're there. And every single time I get off the phone with any of them or and let me clarify, it's only because I'm a board member that I'm allowed to have direct contact. <laughs> um, but 
you know, back, back when I was still living in Colorado, when I, when I would see them, they were just like, thank you so much for coming out. And I'm like, of course, like, this is, this is what I love to do. Like helping you guys and being here for y'all is, is one of my greatest passions. And I, I don't think that they've realized that they impact the outsiders lives as much, if not more than what we are impacting theirs. Um, and I, I think that it's just, it's really important to, for us to keep showing up because it, it provides reinforcement to our men and women that they are meaningful and they have worth and that this system that is, has been designed wrongfully. So for a long time to keep them oppressed and make them devoid of humanity, that there are people that love you and care about you and want to see you succeed and do well and beat you in workouts. <laughs> I I do want to just, you know, before we even proceed or, or even end this conversation soon, just say it takes a special kind of person, Liz, to be able to one, consider this a passion of yours, right? I mean, it's one thing to be a CrossFitter and another thing to to share it with others. And then another thing on top of that to, to share it with incarcerated people, right? So definitely I come, I commend you on that, but then also sticking with your passion and not letting your internal fears or the fears of those around you stop you, cause any kind of doubt or worry really, but just focusing in on the end goal and also the ultimate impact. And, and I say all that quickly, just to say 10 years ago, I was in a traveling quartet, right? So some people probably don't know this um, on the podcast, but singing is like, it's my thing, right? I've been doing it since I was probably four or five. My mom has tons of stories and it's what I consider to be one of my um, creative outlets and I love. So one of the things we did in this traveling quartet in Texas when I moved here was to go to to, to prisons in, in different jails. And at that time, we did it a couple of times, but I will say embarrassingly, I'll admit that I was not very comfortable with, with that. And even so that the leader of the, the quartet even told me, you don't have to do this anymore, right? This is not something that you must do or feel like you're indebted to anybody, you know, do this only if you feel like you are called to do it because any kind of prison ministry is a big deal and should be done by those that are called to. And I think that I say all that just to say, I believe that you were called, right? I believe that you were put in a specific place in your life whenever you were in Denver, trying to just finish school and do your thing, right? And we're able to to find your calling and then continue on with it and, and be committed to it and not just let it go once you've moved on to something else. So um snap my fingers, silent clap, whatever we want to say, you know, to you. <laughs> yeah, I agree. My, it's like, uh, that's, I think I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I mean, it's one thing, like you say, to have a passion for CrossFit and commit to that. Another thing to, you know, go in and, and share that passion with incarcerated individuals. But in the middle of that, she also has this really strong desire to, work on her part of the world to bring more justice socially to others. And she's actually doing that. How many people can say that? Like not a lot of people um, do much more than share things on social media, right? I mean, this is the act of, it's like acting out your passion. And I, I firmly believe that kind of like along the lines of what Mai just said, Liz, this is a purpose of yours. 
you know, like you, you were looking for something like that around that time. You wanted to get involved in different nonprofits. You wanted to try to see where you could volunteer. And this really did kind of just happen upon you. And you took hold of that opportunity and have made it into what it is today, along with all of your other board members. I know how hard all of you work, um, especially those um, on the inside, those board members on the inside. So Liz, what do you and the board see as some of the long-term goals for Redemption Road Fitness Foundation? Uh, worldwide, world domination. I, I know that it, it's, it, sounds, uh, it sounds funny, but um, that, that really is our goal. Our, our goal is to um, be nationwide and then to bring this around the world. We have a lot of people from a lot of different states who, I mean, and we, we have uh, people who are reaching out to us that are just, um, you know, your everyday citizen. We have people from prison systems who work there, who are reaching out to us, say, hey, we heard about your program. How can we do this here? One of the things that, that we try to tell them is that you cannot do this without a good core group of insiders who live there. Because my, as what you're mentioning with any prison ministry, you can go in as a volunteer and you can have an hour of somebody's time and attention and they can put their best foot forward. They can check that box saying, I got this certificate. Let me give this to my parole board to try and get early release. Or you can have a group of people inside who are really doing the community policing for lack of better words. But you, you have this, these group of members that when, when their homeboys acting up, they're on it. Like, you, you don't have to wait for a corrections officer to call that out or for somebody to be called into the warden's office. It's taken care of before anybody who works there even knows. Liz, you know, that reminded me of something that I know you've said before, but, you know, this, this kind of program on the inside of a prison helps motivate people to stay within the parameters of expectations, right? I mean, because this is a big privilege for them. And so to lose that would be devastating. And I know that there is some bad that comes along with the, with, with kind of dangling that carrot for people, but there is also some good, like you just mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. And to kind of circle back a little bit to one of my uh, questions about how have I seen the members change? I, I actually want to bring up this, this one story. I'd be, I'd be remiss if I didn't. Um, how, how our program first started is you had to be in the incentive unit uh, in order to participate in our program. It's no longer like that at every facility, um, but, you, but you basically have to, you have to test into it. Like you have to prove good behavior. You have to have a full-time job. You can't get write-ups from corrections officers. Like you really have to walk the straight and narrow to have this privilege. So when we first pitched the idea of lowering this down to other units, we were met with a little bit of pushback, but then ultimately it was like, listen, our core group of guys on the inside, they're handpicking these guys from lower units to come and try this program. And so that generally means that they are still in close custody. Um, they may not have as long of a record of good behavior uh, and, and a lot of things like that. And there's this, there's this one individual who joined our program. He was a leader of a white supremacy gang in prison. And he had been wanting to get out of it. And one of our guys approached him and they're like, hey, like we know that, that this is kind of what you've been doing and it's not right. 
it's not right. And he goes, I know I got to figure out like, how, how can I write this? And I think that a lot of people, when they, when they join gangs, when they get to prison, they do it because they need community and they need protection and they need family. And, you know, then all of the awful things that happen after that, it's like, how, how do you stop a, a, a moving train at that point? Um, and so he, uh, he really wanted to be in the program and our guys told him, all right, you, you can't have any outside affiliation other than redemption road. You're either walking your own road to redemption or you're still, you're, you're still playing with all this other stuff. And sure enough, he got himself out of, out of that gang. It's because he found family somewhere else. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, that, that family was, was provided to him and he was welcomed and, you know, (laughs) one of his favorite workout partners is a black guy now. It's really cool to see such a huge shift and, you know, he's going to be, he's going to be up for release in, in a couple of years from now. Liz, can you tell us how other people can get involved? Yeah. So, um, we have, we're, we're completely run by volunteers. Uh, so we always need volunteers and in, in any capacity. So if you want to go out to a prison, uh, let me know. You can actually contact me. I am the volunteer coordinator for our foundation. Um, you can get in touch with me in my email that I know is going to be linked in the notes here, um, to this podcast. But also if you go to our website, rf2.org, there is a tab about how to get involved and there's a volunteer form uh, that that you can fill out. We're also a 501c3 nonprofit and we are run completely off of donation. Um, None of us are paid individuals. And so everything that we get and and we have to outfit these gyms that we go into in these prisons, like they they don't come equipped with a CrossFit gym. Um, So we build out every single one of these gyms based on donation. So if you feel so inclined, please volunteer either your time or your money or your, your shares of, of uh, social media posts. Um, we'll take anything. Thank you, Liz. Is there anything that you'd like to leave us with today? Uh, yeah. So I think that one of the most uh, powerful things about this program is that it gives people a renewed sense of purpose. Prison can be a very depressing place for the people that live there. This program gives them the ability, even though they've committed unspeakable crimes, um, it gives them their shot at redemption. I believe in redemption. And I can't imagine being judged for what I did on the worst day of my life. And so I just hope that anybody who's listening can open their heart and have some room for, for these men and women who are really trying to make some powerful changes in their lives. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Liz Franks. Thanks for taking the time to listen to us today please be sure to write a review and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram at Femme Collective Podcast, and we can continue the discussion by joining our Femme Collective Facebook group. Until next time.